0: Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip On This. This episode is all about addiction and how psychedelics seem to be the unlikely ally for so many on their road to recovery. My guest this week is Becca Evans. Becca is an addiction counselor who's been doing this work for over 10 years and has recently been using psychedelic integration with her clients to what sounds like great success. It's early days in the work that she's doing with psychedelics, but due to the healing that she has experienced and the fellowship that she's a part of, a circle of people that are using psychedelics for recovery, it is all pointing to that direction. This episode is beautiful to hear about her own story of healing addiction, how she used psychedelics to do that, what the experience was like for her, why she feels psychedelics was that catalyst for her to make the the changes in her life, and what her vision is for the future of treatment and psychedelics moving forward. A few things before the episode begins. If you are not following in socials, please do so at trip on this underscore pod. Again, that's at trip on this underscore pod for Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. and backslash trip on this pod for Facebook. If you're enjoying this show and you want to help support your girl, please share it out to your friends and your family. It is so helpful for me to grow this podcast. And of course, like it, subscribe, rate it. It helps with searchability. So thank you all so much again. And with that, please enjoy this next episode with Becca Evans. Becca, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Trip on This.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I'm really looking forward to speaking with you about this very important topic of addiction and how psychedelics are seemingly this uh, unwitting ally that is helping a lot of people on their road to recovery. So I think, Mm -hmm. why don't we set the stage for everyone? Can you talk to us about your own uh, journey with addiction and... Yeah, just take us through a little bit. Help us help us set the stage.
1: Absolutely. You know, like many, I grew up in kind of a high-conflict household. I was adopted by my father and was a military kid, so I moved around a lot. So that kind of set the stage for a pretty anxious attachment style. Mm. And then I experienced a lot of bullying in middle school, and, you know, that coupled with, you know, feeling pretty unloved at home, just kind of worthlessness and emptiness. And, you know, I I finally found uh, punk rock in middle school as well. So I kind of found a culture that really just didn't care and just kind of took the apathy and the anger and, and ran with it. I also experienced my first uh, trigger warning discussing suicide. My first suicide attempt at 12, which was really just me taking a bunch of Tylenol and laying in the bathroom and kind of waiting for something to happen. So when I found alcohol and cannabis, I found something that just kind of allowed me to really just feel nothing and kind of sink into a sense of okayness. And you know, that went on and I found other things. I found cocaine. I did that for a year and didn't really like how it made my heart feel. But then I found benzos and opiates. And that just kind of took me to the next level of numbing that allowed me to just, yeah, feel okay. Like it yeah. turned off my mind. It turned off the the self-consciousness, the the worrying about all the negative things that I'm telling myself that my parents are telling me, and really kind of just numbed that sense of worthlessness that was really pervasive. Mm. Um, I also I read a lot of like beat literature, so William S. Burroughs, who wrote you know a book called Junkie, and listened to Velvet Underground. So heroin was very much romanticized for me, and. So that was kind of like, okay, well, I know what Vicodin feels like. So heroin must be the Holy grail. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I found heroin when I was 18 after my first detox from alcohol at 17, which was pretty medically intense. And um, yeah, just, you know, kind of went full force into IV heroin use and, that just kind of became my lifestyle. And I didn't even register that that wasn't something most people did. It was just, Mm -hmm. it made me feel good. It turned off my mind and it allowed me to just go to work and and exist.
0: Wow, thank you so much. And at such a young age, going through that much pain really does kind of set the stage of of wanting to uh, get out of that, experience and that and that thought process and also just illustrates also the how how it doesn't just start usually with like something like a heroin how it does kind of climb its way through from all of the the different numbing agents and the the thing for me and I actually want to ask you when you said 17 to 18 I imagine the physical detox of alcohol was really difficult. Was that particular year of being clean, was that just very difficult for you to then want to at 18 go into using?
1: Um, No. (laughs) So uh, the way I even got into detox at 17 was um, I had a a therapist. My mom finally got me into therapy. My dad was gone all the time. She didn't really know what to do with me. And and I actually went to a therapist appointment, uh, very drunk. And the therapist basically said, she's a minor. You have to take her to to get help or yeah. I have to call CPS. So, you know, it was kind of a forced thing. Yeah. Um, th- then I, I was failing high school. So my mom found a place called Phoenix House, very boot camp-like treatment center that is no longer in existence. Got it. Um So I spent a year there basically to complete high school and just somewhere where my mom knew I wasn't gonna die. Um, but you know, while I was there, I met other people. You know, I met a girl who, you know, she she dressed like the girls from Almost Famous and talked about heroin. And I was like, well, nope, I still wanna do it. So, you know, the first chance I had after and moving out on my own, I went pretty quickly into it.
0: Well, I mean that illustrates too that, you know, I've heard that before, like you have to be the one who wants to you sober <laughs> it's not it's not from being forced obviously you illustrated well you're like yeah I wasn't at the time where I wanted out of that lifestyle yet and that makes right. absolute sense so right. why don't we now let's take it through so that's 18 okay so you're on the journey now you're using where's the shifts now happening how long take us through now this next iteration of life I know psychedelics have been the healing but let's talk about this in between zone now
1: Right. So it's interesting. I actually, uh, uh, took some LSD with a friend while I was strung out on heroin. And that was kind of the first like realization of like, Oh wow, I'm, I am dependent on this. And, you know, but it wasn't enough to re- it wasn't like a psychic shift So it wasn't until I overdosed a few times, one of the times, it was heroin and and clonopin and a muscle relaxer called Soma. So I pretty much, my heart stopped. It was so medically intense that they called my parents who were living in Texas at the time. And that's how my parents found out and and kind of went downhill from there in that, okay, I, I can't just keep using because now my family knows. Uh, this was right before I turned 20. So, this that was my entry into like, okay, like maybe I should get clean, mm. you know, but but at the same time, there was like a, a desire to be clean and to not deal with all the the consequences and and the downsides to using. But there was still like I still knew that heroin was the thing that would, that could make me feel okay and and relax. So it was kind of, you know, like a a mental fight and, you know, that spent about a year, you know, relapsing, going to treatment, relapsing, was about to lose my insurance. So I I had like one last shot and my parents said, okay, you know, we've paid for, we paid for Phoenix house when you're a teenager, you don't have insurance find, find the way, you know, it's, it's on you now. They, they took the tough love approach. So I found a, you know, state funded, county funded recovery home. And that was kind of where my real sobriety started. Um, but it's interesting because I stayed at a, a women's recovery home that was very, um, very much like earth-based practices. They used a lot of herbs. They made vegan food. We made our own kombucha. It was kind of my first glimpse into what spirituality was. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of in the back of my mind.
0: Wow. And so that's... It's unfortunate that a lot of times we have to hit rock bottom in whatever way that looks for us to make the big shift, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like all of these places were to get you to what you're supposed to be doing here on earth and your mission it's really interesting. I I cause I want people to I want obviously we'll segue into psychedelics and of course how you're now working with people with addiction. I was just listening though to um her name's Blue, of course I can't remember. She's got a podcast called Deja Blue. Not sure if you're familiar with it, mm-hmm. but she was she's 60% deaf. And she's it's a it started at 25 and started going and going. And she was basically talking about how at at the time her biggest weakness, which was now like she's losing her hearing ended up creating her biggest gift, which is her gift of listening and listening Mm. beyond what the ears can hear. Like she's incredibly spiritual and has like incredible gifts. And it just kind of strikes me as your story as well with how addiction has been the thing that has been kind of the thing to overcome and is now your superpower working with others. But before we get there, Let's now talk about where did psychedelics now come into this mix? You're now on the up and up. You're at this place. You're getting your first taste of spirituality. Talk to us about where now psilocybin comes in.
1: Yeah. So there was about you know I had a daughter when I was 21, um, and you know that that really kind of you know f- helped me make a giant leap t- in maturity and responsibility and. Um, I realized I want to help, so I started going to school for psychology and counseling. I started. Uh, I got a job working at a psych hospital, so really got to see. You know, I had been a patient, and now I was on the other side and learning about the system. And kind of, it was huge eye opener. You know, while uh, while all of this was happening, though, I there was still an emptiness. There was mm-hmm. still. Um, I would go to Buddhist recovery meetings because you know, I, I would go to 12 step meetings and I, and I had a sponsor, but you know, for me, I I would go and I would just hear this, like, it was like this dogmatic, like, repetitive, um, message, mm-hmm. um, that I, it didn't really resonate with me. And, you know, people would talk about God and they'd use the word God over and over again. And, you know, being raised Irish Catholic, I was kind of like, nope. Yeah. So I went to a Buddhist recovery meeting early in my sobriety, and that was actually my first spiritual experience. I I was meditating and I, I had a, a quick out of body experience so that was kind of always in the back of my mind of like, huh, there must be something to meditation and consciousness. You know, I, I took a theories of consciousness class, and so I was tiptoeing towards it. Um, but it wasn't until I had my second daughter in 2016 and um, experienced some major postpartum depression. Uh, it, pretty much threw me into an existential crisis of like, wow, like in this society, all I'm doing is raising my kids, you know, isolated, really not in a community setting. I'm, I'm just going to work to make money, to pay for things. And, you know, I was really struggling. I couldn't leave the house. I was having, you know, really bad nightmares. I couldn't sleep. And, um, you know, of course, the first thing they, they do at the doctor's is recommend antidepressants and I have been on all sorts of antidepressants and didn't want to do that again. And I uh I just happened to find a Terrence McKenna lecture, you know, that talked about um, you know, the purpose of life is just to is just to experience it and live mm-hmm. it. And he also spoke about mushrooms. And that was like, okay, like I had a good mushroom trip once. Mm-hmm. Let's, I'm open to anything at this point. And also want to add after, you know, a period of sobriety, after I had my daughter, I did start drinking beer again to just kind of get that numbing again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't, and I I knew enough at that point that that I knew that wasn't good for me. And so when I first started microdosing and then my five gram mushroom journey in January of 2017 were the major eye opening experiences and the the thing that started to shift my realization that I don't have to do these behaviors and and we're get into the the 5 gram journey but yeah that was kind of what led me to psychedelics
0: can you talk to us about what about the 5 gram mushroom trip imagine you're talking to someone who who uh, has never had a psychedelic experience now and if you were able to kind of explain, like, what were you realizing? Why, what was it showing you, I guess, in mm. the experience that was the, the real start of the shift where you're starting to look at your own behaviors and be like, why am I doing this? Basically, what am I covering?
1: Exactly. Right. So, oh, it's such a personal experience, but for me, what I did was, I actually did grams and you know, people talk about messages. Like I got Mm -hmm. this message, I got that message and I got the message like, nope, take more. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. And I should also note that at the time I was taking 10 milligrams of Lexapro, which is an SSRI. Mm -hmm. So that might've, uh, that can cause a a dampening effect with, with psilocybin. So, you know, a few weeks later I I went in again, got childcare, of course, um and did uh, the lemon tech method, mm-hmm. uh, which is grinding your mushrooms, soaking them in lemon juice, which activates uh, the psilocin, which allows for a faster onset. So basically, I, I drank the medicine. Was just kind of outside on the patio with my daughter and realized like, oh, okay. Started to feel something. So dad came in, went to the bedroom. Uh, lie, lay down, had eye shades on, dark, silent darkness. And, it. and I just, I had this instinct to just surrender and lay down. And what came on was, I mean, I heard Ram Das say once that psilocybin introduced him to his soul. And that's kind of the best way that I could mm-hmm. describe this experience was this, um, that, that golden light, that was communicating with me telepathically that was telling me I was loved. Mm. It wasn't even, it wasn't even saying like, you're loved. I just, just felt, felt this, yeah. In, uh, yeah, this immense love. And you know, the only, I, I had a, no- a journal with like all these questions, <laughs> like I was going <laughs> to interview the mushroom. And the only <laughs> thing I managed to write down was uh reality is subjective, which, uh, seemed a little cryptic while also like being like, duh, at the time, (laughs) but coming out of that made me realize like, Oh, I, I can, I can choose what I'm perceiving. And not only that, but that experience, you know, I had always been, I I really liked Buddhism because it didn't really, it wasn't like you have to believe in this higher thing, you Mm -hmm. know? So, but I came away from that going, "Oh, there's something there's something bigger. <laughs> yeah you know, I'm yeah, I'm sold. I'm <laughs> sold now. That's not a it's you know, I'm not an agnostic. like it's there. yeah, so, yeah, just really m- made made it salient that there is just this immense love that exists within us and is available to us so long as we choose to follow it. Wow. However, it took about, you know, 2 years to really flesh that out. Yeah,
0: and it, and it does. By the way, thank you for adding that last point because absolutely. Those it's I've had a five grand mushroom trip too. And I think I'm still learning what I (laughs) experienced. So like it's, it it unpacks whatever you're ready to hear at that moment. And then it just continues to unpack and you have like little realizations, but that was so beautifully said. And I'm sorry, that is a personal question, but I really, uh, what I'm, my goal with that question was for if others are listening that are either dealing with addiction or have someone dealing to understand what what is at the core of the healing ultimately like what what is it and I and I guess my follow-up to that is by having this experience of oh okay there's more and there's immense love here and I'm in charge of my own perception ultimately how did that then affect your decision making as it relates to uh drinking or anything else especially knowing that addiction is also very sometimes physical a physical desire Can you talk Mm. to us through now, what did it do to, uh, your cravings, for instance, after the fact?
1: Absolutely. So for me, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't using like narcotics at this point, but you know, there would always be beer in the fridge. Um, so it was, uh, it was, Like, I I have a a really strong memory of going to the fridge, you know, and like afternoon, you know, mommed all day. Maybe I had worked as well and and just was over it. And I went to grab the beer and I just had this like, well, do you need that? Mm. And, And I noticed, you know, Terrence McKenna discusses this, you know, a lot of indigenous cultures discuss this too obviously before times, we kind of of you know spirit speaking to you okay. um which is how i phrase it you know you could say the subconscious higher self yeah. whatever resonates but it was this voice had been activated of like whoa okay like you know there was there was this um gap between desire uh, or or reaction And action. Whoa. You know, there was Mm -hmm. greater space and an ability for choice where before there had just been compulsion.
0: Wow. Beautifully said. And I know exactly it's so crazy. You said, Do you need that? That's what the voice that I always hear. It's that question. It's not don't have that. It's a question to me. Do you need that? Like Mm. you think so? Mm And I'm mm-hmm. like, cause my big thing, my, my addiction for sure is with sugar. And I've been like really curbing it because I see how it um, was ruling the show for a little bit before it was just like, I want it, whatever. But before then I got to the point where I was like, cut, like you don't need a sweet every time. Like you watch, watch this for yourself. And like, there's just like little things. And because I deal with stuff with my body too, joint stuff, mm. it now communicates to me also around food like I'll go for something and it'll be like, do you need that? And I know very now because I'm paying attention, like this wasn't like, I just Mm -hmm. suddenly got the, do you need that question? And then of course there's been many times I've justified it, (laughs) you know, and then I, and whatever, then you make the choice and like, whatever, like, again, like I, the the divine source that um, I've experienced and sounds like you have, I don't think of at all as like, look like a Christian God that's like getting mad at you for doing something like that's not at all what I think of with all of this this is just it's an invitation to understand yourself very very well and there's not like punishment in that way like I don't believe that but what happens for me is when I don't listen like sometimes is yeah like my knees will swell so it's just guiding me along my own choices Mm -hmm. and now when I go to the grocery store I'll literally ask myself I'll be like can I can I have that? <laughs> like, I'll, I'll just hear like, mm, we can, you can skip that this week. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like it's so powerful. But anyway, coming back to the space between the space for choice. Wow. That is so profound and absolutely. And, and I think that's the treasure is that No, of course, psychedelics aren't going to be the thing that tells you what to do with your life, but it is giving you the space to make a different choice. And that is beautiful.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's no silver bullet. Um, It's when everyone says like, you got to do the work or integration, like that's the piece, right? Mm -hmm. Like they grant us the awareness and this elevated consciousness and then we have to follow through. <laughs> exactly. Then we got to follow through and, and not get
0: mad at yourself when you don't. There's been many times where right. I've learned the message and I keep getting the same message and I can laugh because I'm like, I know. And a lot of times for me, it's around like things like surrender and like knowing I'm just always trying to find my way back to peace and trust and knowing, seeing how often my ego like pulls me into some like melodrama in my mind. I'm like, It's okay, Kat, like forgive yourself. You're aware and you're Ah, trying, you know, it's, that's the thing too, is I talk about my spiritual journey a lot and it is such a practice every day. Like, and I get down on myself at times when I feel like I've made progress and then I feel like set back and I'm getting like fearful around something that I thought I was over getting fearful or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a lifelong journey of paying attention, which is what it comes down to, ultimately. Again, not even about the psychedelics, but are you making conscious decisions in your life at all times? And I think that is really where the root um, of the true healing happens. It's around awareness. It's not around being in some spiritual place all the time. Life is spiritual. <laughs> we're it. we're spirit. We're walking around exactly. Mm-hmm. So now let's, um let's, let's now come over now. So you've had some incredible experiences now with psychedelics. You were already counseling those with addiction. Can you talk about now how you're working with psychedelics and helping others recover from addiction using them?
1: Right. Yeah. So I just want to, so it, it touch on what it was like to you know, experience this and, and experience subsequent journeys. And especially once I found, you know, integration circles and started, you know, finding the others like Terrence McKenna says, and really starting cementing this stuff. And I would go to work and, you know, I'd be typing my notes, which is really just, you know, it's like, we hand this to insurance and then they pay mm-hmm. whoever owns the the thing you know, and, and sitting in group with, with these clients who are just, you know, they're all experiencing different types of suffering. And many people who go to treatment, you know, are, it's not their first time, you know, that's it's, there's, there's people who go to treatment like 10, 20 times, you know, or more. And we just sit there and we just tell them the same things over and over again. And sometimes there are like insights and it's, and it's great, you know, I, I really started to, to do, to talk a lot about, you know, shadow work and archetypes and, um, you know, not just the, the typical 12 step relapse prevention mm-hmm. rhetoric that, that they like us to stick to. And I would notice like, you know, more from discussing those topics, but I, and I'm like, Oh, this I'd read their charts. Be like, Oh, try, this person could benefit. Mm-hmm from mushrooms this person this person you know could could use you know a shaman like yeah it, realizing that that it wasn't just you know medications sitting in a group talking repeat day in wow. and day out so you know as when uh when covid happened and and i you know stayed home with my children full time and uh stopped my my day job um I kind of started diving headfirst more in, into learning. Um, I took a, a coaching course uh, called Through Being True to You, and their focus is actually like transformational recovery and psychospiritual integration. So they talk about addiction in a holistic way that much more deeply resonated with me than most things I learned in school. And, you know, I was also doing some of my own work more with the medicines and, and learning more lessons and going the deepest I've ever been into, you know, my shadow and, and growth and um, you know, what it means to work for yourself. I've, that was another thing that the medicines have helped me with is like, Oh no, I don't just have to work for minimal pay as a counselor uh, out of like penance and like, well, this is how I serve. And I, I guess I'll just do it my whole life. You know, it, it, it helps me feel much more empowered that like, Oh no, I, I have the capability to work for myself and work in a way that I believe in, which is ultimately uh, what has led me to working through my own paradigm of coaching, counseling, and also journey work with people who are seeking to to use, you know, these new ancient ways of healing addiction and also using, you know, the the harm reduction model, which is mm-hmm. like you mentioned, not getting down on yourself. If you do relapse, if you not even call it a relapse, if you do slip, if you do mm-hmm. use again, it's not the end of the world. What did you learn from that? Did you continue using for weeks on end after? No, it was just a one-time thing. Like that's a huge win. Yeah. When you consider the pattern of addiction. So, so using those frameworks using, you know, Jungian psychology mm-hmm. using, you know, um, I I have to give so much credit that I have learned so much from indigenous wisdom and indige- indigenous lineages of the ways that they view addiction, um, which is, you know, things like soul loss, things like disconnection from spirit, disconnection from natural living. So I I kind of use all of those to, to help provide people a new way of seeing their addiction, you know, instead of a curse, see it as, you know, I definitely see it as my spirit's One of my spirit's lessons while I'm here, I think it's addiction and and parenting were my two like tasks. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, and I, cause I just, I have gotten more from this work in the last five years than the previous, I don't know, six, seven years of, you know, therapy, meetings medications, you know, and, and I, and I had wished that, you know, like it would have been amazing. My parents would, couldn't have afforded it, but if I would have gotten the chance to experience, you know, Ibogaine, Mm -hmm. you know, at 20, I just think of how, how different my life could have been. My life is great now, but, but just thinking of like, I could have had a quantum leap, even sooner, right? And you know, then where would I be now? So, so just thinking in terms like that, and how you know these these tools provide us with with a complete um, way of addressing you know the body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. Because AA talks about spirituality nonstop. However, there is a major lack of spirituality that myself and you know my peers have seen in in that community and. You know, Bill Wilson himself, the founder of AA, experienced um, LSD uh, thanks to meeting Aldous Huxley, mm-hmm. who wrote The Doors of Perception, um, when he was maybe 18, 20 years sober in the 50s. And he credited it with, you know, basically curing his depression yeah. that even 20 years sober he still had. Uh, However, no one else in AA liked that. And he even stepped down from his, you know, leadership position because of his belief in that. So it's been, you know, repressed because, um, like we, we discussed during our, our first call was like, you know, treating a substance use disorder with a substance, you know, but then it's like, it's like, well, okay. Like medications are okay. Chugging coffee. And eating tons of sugar at meetings is okay, but these, you know, divine sacraments mm-hmm. are not. Yeah, yeah.
0: What do you think that is? I mean, uh, let's talk about the culture a little bit more around it. Is it is it just? Do you think uh, just the idea of uh, a, a substance for a substance? Do you think it's financial? Do you think it's just the lack of education? What are you, do you you think it's all of the above?
1: All of the above. Yeah. Absolutely. I, definitely for the, for the rehab industry and, and pharma and insurance, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, it, for this, this would, uh, this would put a lot of their things out of business. <laughs> it would kind of render a lot of what they're doing obsolete as well. You know, I, I think there is, um, a, a major, there's judgment. I think there's fear, Mm -hmm. you know, they, there's, it's funny. I'm a member of a fellowship called psychedelics and recovery. and, And part of our reading, we, we quote, um, you know, the AA big book literature that, you know, there, there's one thing, um, that will, that will basically prevent growth, which is contempt prior to investigation. So the fact that, you know, these, these are being seen. I, I, think, I think there's a perception that these are to get high. Right. These are to escape. And like feeling good through a substance equals using, right. Right, 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 even right. though this feeling good is the most wholesome feeling good <laughs> that is not the same as, you know, heroin, cocaine, or alcohol.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's just a very binary way of looking at it. Right. It's so black and white when the world is not even close to black and white, we only live in gray, obviously. And to think, yeah, it's like, I, I understand it. If you don't understand, right. Like if you want to look at it very simplistically, okay. Okay. Like I, I get that, yes, there is a molecule or a substance that can make you feel good because it's connecting you back to the wholeness of yourself, not, mm-hmm. not disassociating yourself from yourself, but connecting to yourself very, very deeply, which is like the, the biggest difference and also is the thing that is creating these uh, spiritual experiences, which... You know, having spoken with another psychedelic scientist, he's like, look, the the truth is we know that the healing is coming from the spiritual experiences. Like we know that like, so regardless of whoever's listening of what you believe in that, the perception that I'm having a spiritual experience is completely shifting behavior and creating better ways of living and not needing to use psychedelics anymore. I mean, that's got to say something. And I think exactly. you say something very telling about the fact that, yeah, there could be a big financial loss if you make your money based on knowing that the pattern of going to treatment, you're talking about like patterns, right? If you've been going 11, 20, 30 times, you're just in a pattern of going to treatment. There's no pattern interrupt there either. And so if they're counting on that, um, sure. That's going to have to be reckoned with as well. I love that you're also bringing in the wisdom, the ancestral wisdom, and and the ancient knowledge around this, and connecting back to nature, and and really bringing Western, Eastern. It sounds like because you've got your Buddhist your your Buddhist side, and then of course the indigenous wisdom to this um, sounds beautiful. Are you seeing success with your clients?
1: I am. I mean, my you know, full transparency. I'm I'm still in the early stages, mm-hmm. um, and you know, some of my clients are there. They haven't even had a, a psychedelic experience yet. So you know, which is which is basically just recovery coaching or recovery counseling, and mm-hmm. you know, approaching it from a non-judgmental, open-minded perspective, and and just kind of every now and again, just throwing in a reminder of, you know, things, but for those who approach this or, or who consult me for, you know, journey work, uh, for this, absolutely. They have spoken about, you know, increased presence, um, decreased cravings, or if they do, you know, drink again, it's, it's an isolated incidence and, and I, and I can walk them through like, okay, like no self judgment. Let's just see, like, how did it feel? What, what was, what were you feeling before, you know, was there, were you in a situation where there's, there's a bunch of drinking? Cause that's certainly gonna, you know, the energetics of like they're drinking and they're drinking and have a drink, you know? So, mm-hmm. so becoming more aware of the different dynamics behind the pattern of drinking or using and, and connecting to, you know, patience with themselves, love for themselves, uh, increased compassion. One of my clients, that's, that's something that she mentions frequently is like, I just have so much compassion. Whereas before I would just have anger, irritability with others. And it's not just, you know, for, for people who are more secular, you know, these, these substances work in a way with our brains that are completely different than pharmaceuticals, right? Where pharmaceuticals just, you know, block receptors and they create the ceiling effect. These, these substances, these compounds, I should say, you know, increase serotonin in the brain Mm -hmm. while not, while not having to block any other things, you know, it's, it's, it's a it's an increase. They they repair nerves. Yeah. They they create new pathways where instead of just you know putting sand you know on the brain mm-hmm. to just exist.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Beautifully. Beautifully said. Dang, I was just about to ask you something. I completely. What? I... Thank you. <laughs> Just talk, my guides talking about. me. I'm watching. We're just going to keep this in. Sorry, guys. By the way, this happened on podcast. Mike, what were they talking about? What I was going to say to you about your approach, though, here's what it strikes me as even without the psychedelics, you're taking what you're learning from psychedelics and applying it to your coaching. So, either way, it, there is an, a holistic approach to your work as a coach, regardless of the fact, if they, anybody else decides to do a psychedelic or not. And I think that is important because when you were talking about an AA, that's a kind of a, a one size fits all the way that they talk about God. And that word alone is very triggering for people. You know, I use the word God, but God to me is probably very, very different than any, honestly, any religion, right? Like I, God to me is also the universe and source. I just have lots of names for the divine energy source that is, unfathomable that I have no idea what it is, except that I feel it everywhere all the time. But I think by you offering up another way of even looking at spirituality and the connection to oneself without getting caught in maybe a a religious side or kind of a beating into this is the only way to express it because like you, you had a reaction to it and that's the last thing that you want right it's it's about really connecting with yourself and your spirit without getting stuck in the the dogmatic language sometimes that can block a lot of a lot of us from connecting to that special sauce
1: yeah. Thank you for, thank you for seeing that. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, for sure. So why don't we, you, you touched on a little bit, but can you tell us more about psychedelics for recovery, the fellowship that you are working with and also how can people get involved if they right. are interested? Absolutely.
1: So psychedelics in recovery, basically it started in New York city. It was very, very small. And a couple of my, Amazing! I can't, I can't say enough about them. My a couple of my best friends who are just the most amazing people, they experienced the, the power of psychedelics while also being in recovery and realized like, Oh, we need a place to talk about this. You know, like we can't talk about this in regular meetings. So they started the first in-person meeting of psychedelics and recovery here in San Diego I actually met them when I was doing a, a psilocybin educational workshop. So it's just funny how the mushroom can totally. you to who you need to <laughs> exactly. be connected with. And, um, yeah, so, you know, it, the first per- in-person meeting started here and then COVID happened and meetings just started coming, popping up online through this fellowship and what started as, um, my, my friend was like, oh, I thought this was going to be a pretty sad meeting because it was like only, you know, maybe six, eight people. So what started as that is now I think there's 20 something meetings now offered uh, psychedelicsinrecovery.org okay. is where you can um, put in your email address and get a weekly... A notification with the Zoom links for all of the weekly meetings, and there are. It's it's now a worldwide fellowship. You know, there's wow. meetings based out of London and Australia. Um, it's grown that much this,
0: from like from from in, the six in people a year
1: and a half. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, talk about a need. Yeah, talk Absolutely. about a need, and the and the fact that you have a place to go and talk about these experiences because out in the, in the framework that they have right now, like that's a a no, no right now to talk about. And like, what do you do? You go to the, what is the Psychedelics for recovery fellowship is what you do. Absolutely. Incredible.
1: I will put the link
0: for anyone listening as well so that people could check it out if they want.
1: Oh, beautiful. And, and what I love, you know, and that's my only fellowship now, because what I love about these meetings is we don't just sit there and talk about psychedelics nonstop. We talk about, you know, the, the emotional, um, processes that, that psychedelics bring up. And we talk about how they affect our recovery. And it's the most non-judgmental, open fellowship that I mean, meeting that I've, I've ever, so many people, every week I I attend the in-person meeting and, and every week there's new people and every week they say like, I feel like I'm home, you know, they've, they've been going to other meetings, you know, for years and they come to this meeting and it's just like, you know, you can talk about anything. You you don't have to just go there and and repeat the same things that you hear other people talking about all the time. This
0: is what I love about just psychedelics in general, that it's just opening up so much community and understanding and like letting down the judgment and the feeling like I'm finally home after years of, you know, an old system. Like, you know, in some ways like COVID really bringing in, in the big change. And even though it's been so difficult in so many ways for others, it's also bringing in so much like beauty. And I And I really tried to also focus my intention on like, yes, there's so much beauty being created because the more that we focus on what we want coming in to this old world, the way it's been so much needed to shift. And it's so beautiful to hear like, God, a year and a half worldwide. And that's only going to continue to grow exponentially because there are substances like like this out there. that Again, this is just, you know, like for everyone, not panacea, not saying it's for everyone, but that there is something out there that's having a major, major impact in people's lives all over the globe. It is really time to wake up for people, wake up past a a judgment or stigma or um, old fears, and just begin to recognize that there's a reason why you keep hearing about psychedelics everywhere now.
1: Exactly, and I mean, yeah. Another quote that is that is commonly uttered in this fellowship is, "You know, this is the future of recovery." Yeah. You know, and and there are there are members that 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 haven't even taken psychedelics yet, but they get the medicine of the others and the connection and the um, acceptance with
0: open arms the wisdom that comes back to your coaching style too and it comes back to another i was i was listening to um her name's azria becker she was also talking about this she's like look there's not everyone's going to be doing psychedelics there's only going to be a small group still at the and when we think of the whole world that's going to be doing them but the thing is those that are called to do the medicine they come back with the messages they come back with the wisdom and they can help share it and help anchor it here and I think that's really like the work you're doing and those in the fellowship that, look, we're, by, by teaching unity and love and acceptance and bringing back the pearls that you got from those ineffable experiences is just as important because we learn through, what's that, what's the word I'm looking at? It's not osmosis, but when you just, when it just like the energy just like bleeds over to people, and not bleeds, that's probably a terrible word, but. <laughs> um, you know Spills. what I mean? Spills. Yeah, it's spilling everywhere. And, but that's cool. It's cool to hear again that like, yeah, it's because they're, I feel like, you know, it's just activating the light within all of us. It just shows us like, oh my God, we have so much to offer all of us. And especially if you've been on the road of of addiction and feeling probably a lot of feelings around yourself and feeling down about that to then step into knowing how much you have to offer what a, what a gift to show others and to show others that they can feel that way about themselves too.
1: You, yes, you just, you just triggered a flood of like, you know, I, I have heard so many times as a counselor, the phrase is like, I just want to know why I'm broken. I just want to know like, like, what is, what does my life mean? I just want to know what I'm here to do. I just I just want to feel something mm-hmm. oh, so much come in and they're, and they're like, I don't know. I just don't feel anything. Like I want to feel excited. I want to care.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and, and these, these medicines directly address those, those issues and, and those, those feelings of confusion and disconnection.
0: Yeah. It's like surprise your divine radiant light
1: Right. guess what
0: you're amazing and it's like oh my god thank you so much and it really sometimes it is that sometimes it's not as it's not a it's not always rainbows and butterflies like that sometimes it has to show you tougher lessons but underneath it all it is to it's just showing you the illusion you've built around yourself and and not showing you what you truly truly are my final question to you i now know that you're forging your own path Congratulations, by the way. Thank Tell you. me what your vision is. Tell us what your vision is for the future of recovery and psychedelics. What would you want to create if you could around this?
1: Yes. So really over the past six months, I want to say, I have experienced this vision of a center where people who you know who it is. It is deemed medically safe for can go and spend the first uh, part detoxing off of you know substances uh, and also pharmaceuticals, um, SSRIs, benzodiazepines, sleep medications, any other medication that they don't really medically need to be taking because mm-hmm. of the major overprescription. So they would spend the first maybe month or so doing that and getting, um, you know, we would have some clinical herbalists on, on staff. So then they could be replaced with herbs and Ayurvedic medicines, mm-hmm. acupuncture, things things that can really help balance them out while they're going through that process. And then once they are, you know, medically cleared, they can experience, you know, some ceremony. We can, you know, while while they're they're getting cleared, we can help prepare them and they can experience ceremony. I I I feel the need to be extremely reciprocal to the indigenous lineages that have basically provided us with yeah. with this knowledge. They have been stewarding this from time immemorial, and I would love to include them to To be the the facilitators for the ceremony because you know Sh- Shipibo people, the Huichal and the Wisha, the in, in Mexico are really you know they they know about that soul loss piece that is is so prevalent in addiction and you know, our prophets can, can help, you know, continue that reciprocity. So they would, so that would be the the middle part. I see this maybe as like a three to six month program. And, you know, after the ceremony and after the, the realizations of, of who they really are and learning the lessons and, reconnecting to their spirits, then then the integration process would happen. And, you know, we can also continue the, the other subtle work, the sound healing, the meditation, the yoga, so that they can return to their lives with just a far better understanding and feeling of wholeness than they would probably receive in, in any other current treatment center outside of maybe ibogaine centers, which are currently doing amazing work. Um, but this would kind of include other medicines as well.
0: Wow. I just speak that into existence. That sounds incredible. And what I love is not only the harm reduction approach that you're taking and making sure that you're not leaving out those, that people aren't just like rushing ahead. You, you really do need to properly uh, taper off whatever you're taking before taking a psychedelic, especially in the way that and 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 hopefully staying that way, right? And not needing to go back onto anything, but to do that in a way that isn't rushed, that doesn't put stress on the body, that is under the guidance and care of professionals, making sure. And then to yeah, to really dive into the medicine. Oh my beautiful that you have reciprocity kind of first and foremost, like in your brain and how to not only create a better experience for those in your clinic or your, your, your center to, to have the best experience with what we call soul loss, but also like you're saying to, to give back. It's a, a beautiful, to me, like that's how the, the, the future of psychedelics really can move forward in a beautiful way where there is balance between the old, the, the ancient wisdom and the new wisdom, like coming together and moving forward in this new age. I just keep seeing it and begin to build plans around what it would look like. And I truly, truly hope that that comes into being. I think there are many people that would hear this, especially like that are wanting to go this path. I would say, can that exist? Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I hope everyone just got a lot from understanding addiction, from understanding how psychedelics can help addiction and that there's hope. There is really, really hope. And, um, yeah, I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you for, for allowing me a space to, to discuss this and for opening these, these portals to, to share this, you know, spirit led, uh, information.
0: Absolutely. Where can people find you online? if you want to connect.
1: Yeah. My website is, uh, mycophoria.org. Um, my Instagram is also mycophoria, but with an F instead of a PH. Okay. So I'll put one of those two places. I'll put the info.
0: Awesome. Becca, thank you so much again. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. And for everyone, as always trip on this.